Well, welcome, welcome, Redeemer Life. I am um, I'm so glad to be back from warm and sunny San Diego to nice um, Chicago. Um, I um, I have no. There were twelve thousand professors of Bible and religion in one place. Can you believe it? Um, and for some reason, um, uh, I I got. I presented three papers in three different sessions, three different days, so all I saw is those halls and people. I did walk from one hotel to another, and um, I, I did promise um, our favorite couple, John and Kelly Gabrielson, that I'll look at the precise spot where John proposed to <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> John's not listening. Are you listening? <laughs> Commander Gabrielson. Um, what's the island called? Uh, North Island of Coronado. Of Coronado. It's just across the bay. And uh, so I, I looked at it with binoculars and I said, that must be the spot where John proposed to Kelly. So amazing. So amazing. And then we have a new couple here among us. Where did you propose to? In back in Pittsburgh, okay, and newly married, and you look happy. You look really happy, both of you. I must tell you, he looks a lot happier than he was before the wedding. So, which is always a good sign, right? So, welcome, welcome to Redeemer Life. Uh, welcome to newcomers. There's someone who's come all the way from Norway. Um, would you introduce yourself? Because people from Trinity are never shy. <laughs> Go ahead. In in Nor Norwegian, Norwegian first. Yes, yes. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We are, there's no one here from Trinity. We never have any PhD students, no professors, and all that. Um, Everyone looks like a Trinitarian. This is a good thing to be, to be a Trinitarian. Um, let, we need to be uh, thinking about, um, it's December 1st, can you believe it? It's already the 1st of December. You know, yesterday it was January, and the pastoral search committee was searching at that time. They're still searching. Would you, con you know, continue to pray for the pastoral search committee? This is a huge task, a huge, huge task. I cannot um, underline this sufficiently. And we need to be spending time in prayer and in fasting um, because um, the, this committee has been given the task of choosing a person God's choice to lead Redeemer Life into the next stage of um, all that God wants Redeemer Life to be. And, uh, and, and that means that we as a congregation should be spending a lot of time in prayer and fasting. So I would encourage you to do that, encourage you to join in times of prayer um, when we come together. When is the next time of prayer? Sorry? One 
Oh, it's in January now. Okay, so next year um, is when we'll be getting together. It's, it's hard to say next year, isn't it? Um, but let's be praying individually, the uh, life groups. I would encourage us all to, to be praying very, um, very honestly and uh, fervently for God's best person um, to be chosen and for the pastoral search committee, I think David put it right, because whenever you are about God's task, um, the evil one's not happy. And um, uh, there can be discouragements, there can be illnesses, physical, emotional, spiritual. And so we need to be much, much in prayer about, about the pastoral search committee and um, about the whole church, that God will lead us to this next stage. We also need to be praying for um, people who are going through sicknesses in our, in our church. I, I know that Sophia, um, um, uh, Erica's mom, is just, has just come back from, um, from Mexico, and, and the good news is that she has been able to find a place where her mom will be taken care of. So we need to be we need to thank God for that and pray for her health. Pray for the health of her sister in Mexico. Um, and then pray for um, Sophia. She just underwent um, a biopsy. And let's pray that all would be clear. Let's pray that all would be clear. Um, we also need to be praying for others in our church who are going through sicknesses and ailments, some more severe than others. Uh, Becky will be going in for surgery on the 19th. This is for uh, thyroid cancer. So let's, let's pray for her. Let's pray for God's healing touch on her. Tomorrow is going to be um, a pre-surgery checkup. Uh, let's pray that everything will go well. Everything will go well. And, and it's not... Um, I don't know if you've gone through surgeries, but it's never a... Um, it's never an easy time when you're thinking about going in for a procedure of any kind, and especially for thyroid cancer or any other form of cancer. This is um, a time of great turmoil. So let's, let's be praying for, uh, for Becky and, and perhaps for others in, in the church who are going through um, rough times, rough times. Um, Maybe pause and, and pray for uh, some of these um, matters before we dive into God's Word. Oh, Lord, our God, as we pause for this time of prayer, we want to thank you that we come before our healer, Yahweh Rapha, our eternal, amazing healer. So, Lord, we pray for Sophia. We pray for your 
healing touch on her. We pray that, that we would hear uh, a good report from the biopsy. But most of all, we pray, Lord, for your healing touch on, on Sophia. We pray for your healing touch on her mom and on her sister in Mexico. Oh, Lord, protect them, preserve them, and heal them. And then, oh, Lord, we pray for Becky as she goes in for this procedure. We pray that you, your hand would be upon her, on her heart, on her mind, on her soul. Uh, pray, Lord, that she would indeed experience your presence in a powerful way and know that even as she goes in for this procedure, the surgery for thyroid cancer, you are our healer. So heal her, Lord, heal her. We pray for others who are going through rough times, um, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, in all of these ways, O oh Lord, we pray for your gracious presence on each of the lives. As we enter into the season of Advent, we indeed expectantly and eagerly await your coming into our lives, O oh Lord. So take hold of our church. We pray very specially for the Pastoral Search Committee. What an awesome task you have placed on their shoulders. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with David Kim and with the whole Pastoral Search Committee, that you would guide them in the minutest details so that your person would, with great clarity, come before the search committee and before Redeemer Life. Because we know that you have so many plans for this very young congregation. Oh Lord, fulfill your great plans. So bless us. We pray for the outreach events that will happen in this season of Advent. We pray for the outreach at Barbara's bookstore on the 14th of December and the weeks to come. Oh Lord, bring people that are searching. Bring people that are wounded and in pain that they may find healing in Jesus' name. And bless us, O oh Lord, as we ponder on your word during this season of Advent. Oh, bless us with your presence and speak to our heart. Give us listening ears that we would listen to your voice. In the name of Jesus, the word of God, the living word of God, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we will, be, we, we will be reflecting on Mark chapter 1, which was read so very well, um, just by the lighting of the candles. Isn't it so nice that we have, um, you know, this, this tradition of, of Advent, and so every week there'll be a family that'll be lighting a candle and reading scriptures, and, and the scriptures that were read to us were from Isaiah chapter 2, and Mark chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 2, of course, is an amazing, amazing passage um, that, that talks about um, 
this time where, where the whole world, it says, will come. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. That, that we would find healing. All the, all, all the, uh, the, um, uh, the weapons will be broken into plowshares. What an amazing word there, right? Especially when we think about uh, all that's going on in the world in Hong Kong and, and think about what happened uh, at London Bridge um, this, just this past week. Um, my memories, of course, go, go back to the time uh, where you know, I went back and forth London Bridge. And some of you have probably done that because it's quite, a, uh, quite an important uh, um, piece of territory. Uh, but think in terms of those people who are trying to bring peace and, and of course their lives were shattered and, and, and killed. And, and it's horrible when those things happen. But, but the Word of God says that there will be a time and that's going to be the second advent when Jesus will come and there will be the new Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem, of course, means the city of peacefulness, the city of righteousness. And peacefulness, and and of course we would we would want to pray that our Lord would return um, soon, so that there would be peace, and all this uh, violence will will go away. And that's what was the focus of Isaiah chapter two. It was the focus of of um, of the Gospel of Mark, which was read to us so very well. Um, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah begins the words in Mark chapter 1. I want to ask you a question as we go into this meditation. Do you think God has a calling? The, the whole, the, 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 our theme is what is God's calling? What is our calling in life? And calling in English, the word is vocation. Vocation comes from the word voce. Those people hear the voice. The deep inner voice of God will find their vocation. So we've reflected on some of those things. But do you think God has a calling? What do you think? Oh, God is God. Don't ask God those kinds of questions because, you know, God is God. Uh, do you think God has a calling? What do you think? What do you think is the calling of God? If there's one verse that comes to your mind, what is that? What is the calling of God? What do you think? I do have a marker here. And it's a dry erase marker, so it's okay. If God, if God is a caller, how does God have a calling? If God is a caller, how does God? God is the caller. God is the caller. How does he have a calling? How calling? Good question. God is a caller. How can there be a calling? Okay, so God is, has a calling to holiness. portray His holiness to, okay, holiness. Yes. Holy God, holiness of God. That human beings would see the holiness of God. Okay, so God has a calling to display His holiness. And obviously that's what 
Moses heard when God called him and, um, and God says, Moses, Moses, don't come near. The place on which you're standing is holy ground. You're in the presence of God. Um, what else? Does God have a calling? Yes. Yes, what does it say? Good news to the poor. So God is, the calling upon himself is preaching kerusu, preaching good news, good news to the poor, poor. That's so interesting. The word in Hebrew is dal which is people who are poor because of what society has done to them. They're not poor because they're lazy or something like that. They're poor because of what human beings have done to them. They've you know, crushed them till there is no mind and no soul. And that's what society does. So preaching the good news to the poor. And um, what else? What do you think is God's calling? What is the most famous verse in all of the Bible? The most famous verse in all of the Bible. Come on, everyone should say that all together, okay? One, two, you know what I'm talking about, right? No, yes, no, no, yes, yes. Tim Tebow and all those people, you know. For God so loved the world, all right, together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what is God's calling? God's calling is the salvation of all of humanity, all of the cosmos. And that is God's Missio Dei is what, what theologians would refer to it as. That he, he, he wants the whole world to be saved. And that is the message of Christmas. That is the message of Advent. Where God is saying, I want you all to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and, and our calling is to become a part of that calling, isn't it? When we go and join the calling of God in our own areas of work, our vocation, whatever it is, we join the calling of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and let, let's keep that in mind as we go into into this season of um, into this season of advent uh, and and where does that calling begin if you look at mark chapter one mark chapter one if you have your bibles please turn with me to mark chapter one it, it is called the shortest gospel so if you go to places like trinity there'll be these professors and, and they'll you know they're speaking and they'll take out the greek bible because you know obviously 
Nothing else will do. It's the Greek Bible, and they'll start reading the Greek text, and they'll say, this is called a theory of Mark and priority. And you say, what is the theory of Mark and priority? Well, Mark's gospel was the first gospel to be written. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there's a guy by the name of John Mark, and that guy by the name of John Mark was close friends by a guy by the name of Stone. Do you know what's his name? Peter. And so... This is the first gospel to be written. It's the shortest gospel. It's the first gospel to be written. It's a gospel that refers to Jesus. And Jesus is portrayed as a person who is like a servant figure. But the servant figure does things that only a Roman king can do. So in Greek, the word that's used is euthos. And it means Jesus, in the other gospels, it'll say Jesus touched that person. That person was healed. Um, Jesus healed that blind person. In Mark's Gospels, it'll say, Euthos, immediately, 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 like only a Roman king can do. Right? If you want things done, you go to royalty. So, Mark's Gospel will talk about Jesus in those kinds of categories. And then, the professor will say, you know, why is this the case? This is the case because... Mark's gospel wants to introduce something that's called a literary dissonance. What is literary dissonance? Literary dissonance is when you expect a person to say some things, and yet that person says something quite different. It's like what happens to me. You know, there is this... Um, when I was a student at Trinity, so is it okay if I talk about my student days? When I was a student at Trinity, there were these, the, this department called the Practical Theology Department. They looked at me and they said, oh, you're a good preacher. Can you go and preach for us? So I said, sure, my name is Johnson. I'll preach for you because it's Trinity, right? Everyone's Johnson. And so they'll send me, send me to all these Johnson churches, you know, in Iowa and in... Nebraska, and in some down place in Illinois, I'll go with my wife and my kids for hours together. We'll drive through cornfields and all that, and we'll go to this place, and they have announced um, that someone from Trinity called Boaz Johnson will be preaching. So I would arrive there, and I would stand up there, and these people are all looking at me. You said it's Boaz Johnson? This is not a Boaz Johnson. That's called a literary dissonance. Because, you know, I don't look like a Boaz Johnson. Do I look like a Boaz Johnson? No. Because a Boaz Johnson is supposed to be um, like Dennis. He's supposed to be really tall. He's supposed to be white. He's supposed to be from Norway or Sweden or something like that. That's called a literary dissonance. That's what... Mark's gospel does. And then Mark's gospel begins with these words. The calling of God, it's so clear right from the beginning. Mark says, the beginning. The calling of God begins at the beginning. Jesus was not an afterthought. God's idea of salvation was not an afterthought. It was at the beginning. The Greek word there is arche. Do you see the Greek there? Isn't that so cool that we can 
put Greek cup also on the screen. Arche, Arche, the beginning, and Arche. The, John cha- Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in, in, in a very ancient translation called the Targum, says this, In the beginning, the Son of God, who is the Word of God, who is the wisdom of God, with wisdom and understanding, created and perfected the heavens and the earth. So what John Genesis chapter 1 is saying in this very ancient translation of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 is that God's plan of salvation was there in the mind of God right at the very beginning. Sometimes people will say, oh, the whole world messed up so God had to come down in the form of Jesus. So it was an afterthought. The gospel is not an afterthought. The gospel was God's plan right from the very beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. So Mark's gospel begins with those words that it was right at the very beginning. What was it? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 and onwards, it's so, so profound there. It says this, it is, this is just a description of the first word of the Bible in Hebrew, okay? Paul, the apostle, as he is reading the Hebrew text of the Bible, he says, you want to understand the gospel? Look at the very first word, because it talks about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Do you know this is just the first word of the Bible in Hebrew? I mean, you're saying, no, no, this is not the first word of the Bible. It doesn't come through an English language. And, and Paul would say, go and read your Hebrew Bible. Because it's all about Christ. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That was all there in the beginning. And he said, well, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, do you know this is God we are talking about? In God's mind, this is like a... Like a second. Because God's purposes will be accomplished. And we have to flow into this one little tiny bit of history to do his will. What is his purpose? The second point is that the calling of God is always the good news. In Greek, the word is euangelion. Euangelion. I want you to remember that word because I think it's so very crucial as we look at the rest of the text there. The, 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 the gospel is not the bad news. And that is the message of Advent. The message of Advent is we have good news for you. We do not have bad news for you. So often we want to focus attention 
on the badness of people. Instead of focusing attention on the good news and the goodness of God who will bring about salvation through His supernatural work. This word right through the Bible is described as blessing. God wants to bless our neighbors. God wants to bless us. This is the good news. So often, um, and it begins with the, the, the quote here is, is really from uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, which, which begins with these words. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Nachamu, nachamu, amin. Yomer, Elohechem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. I know things are going wrong. But comfort, that word comfort actually literally means womb. God says, I love you. And I want to give you comfort. I want to show you my grace. Which is, which is, which is quite an amazing song that was written a long time ago in the context of slavery. The first time I heard this song was by a gentleman by the name of Glenn Campbell. Do you remember Glenn Campbell? Quite an amazing guy. You know, Glenn Campbell was born in 1936, a farm uh, boy from Billstown, Arkansas. Billstown, Arkansas, and it was a son of a sharecropper and a lot of poverty there. And, and as the story goes on and on, at age, uh, age four, he was given a guitar. I like it. You know, we have a small guitarist in our church. Did you know that? I wish he was up there leading us in singing because it'll be so beautiful, right? Uh, so he was given a guitar and and, and, and of course, he rose to fame, and um, as he rose to fame, I was also a student at, uh, at the University of Delhi, and uh, I did not rise to fame, but I was a part of a, um, a music group. I mean, I mean, you know, you kind of think about it, you know, it's, I had this long hair like this much. I don't know where did it go. Um, I used to have torn jeans, you know. I think we used to cut it up just to make it look rather holy. Nowadays, students get these expensive jeans that are really holy. Um, but it was those flares that flapped around. I don't think you remember that, do you? <laughs> it was the late 1970s, and I used to sing Glenn Campbell all the time. I, had the lead, I was the lead guitarist. Don't ask me to sing. David, <laughs> I was a lead guitarist, and we used to go from one university to another and sing those songs, uh, Amazing Grace. And, 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 and I came to realize that Glenn Campbell himself was really not walking with the Lord till he met his new wife. He had all these relationships and wives, three wives before that. He was married to Diane Kirk between 1955 and 1959, and to Billie Jean from 1959 to 1976, Sarah Davis from 1976 to 1980, and then he was dating Tanya Tucker for a long period of time. These are names that you probably don't even know. Um, but some people might. But then he met Kim. Kim Woolen, who pretty soon after that 
became a follower of Jesus. And they started going to this Messianic Jewish congregation. And his life was turned around. Drugs were gone. Alcoholism was gone. I met him in 1994 because I was, while I was past, uh, working on my PhD, also pastoring a Messianic Jewish congregation in Highland Park. And it was so beautiful to see this man whose life was changed at a conference would sing Amazing Grace. And then, of course, after that, as you know the story, he developed Alzheimer's and died in 2017. But he would sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That is the good news of the message of Advent. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That is the message, it seems to me, that God would have us give. And the third part here is that the calling of God has always been the Messiah, Jesus. Yeshua, from the very beginning, the Hebrew word for Jesus is Yeshua. This is the salvation of the Lord. The same God who spoke to Moses, who spoke to Isaiah, who spoke to Jeremiah, is the same God who is now descended among us. And we give the good news that in Him you can be healed, no matter what you have done. Like Glenn Campbell was healed, you can be healed as well. One of the persons who has influenced my thoughts so much is a gentleman by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh who was about to commit suicide and he, he said, Lord, if you're really there, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. Otherwise, tonight I'm going to commit suicide. And there he was as he was lying on the bed and he saw the face of Jesus. And from that time onwards, he became a follower of Jesus. He said, I wanted to learn more. So he went to the seminary in a place called Lahore. And they were talking to him about the historical critical method and, and this method and that method. And he said, no, no, no. I want Jesus. My people want Jesus. They don't want all this stuff. My people need Jesus. I want to give Jesus to my people in an Indian cup. That is the simplicity of the gospel, isn't it? We don't need to be trained in whatever school we go to. We just need to go and share Jesus with this people, with our friends. We didn't need, don't need to have heavy theology and all that. It's just what Jesus has done in our lives. We need to go to people and say, Look, look what Jesus has done for me and I want to give you Jesus in your cup, whether it be a Korean cup or a Norwegian cup or it be a German cup or it be a Mexican cup. I want to give you this Jesus. Experience this Jesus. That is the message of Advent. Because this is the same Jesus who spoke 
Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom all things. He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. I want to give you this Jesus. That's all we need to do. And then it goes on to say, the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Who is this? This is the Son of God. That title there means this is God Himself. This is the human face of God. Do you know that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to kill him? John chapter 19 and verse 7 says, The Jewish leaders, they were stubborn. They said, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God Himself. And so they killed Him. But this is God. How do we know that? The calling of God is always according to His Word. Throughout the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark will say, it is written, it is written, it is written. It is written. That is so very important because it's always referring back to what the prophets say. You know, perhaps I should mention this. There, there, there was a theologian by the name of Marcion in the second century. And Marcion wanted to get rid of the whole of the Old Testament. Because he said, no, no, this is all these laws and all these sacrifices, all this nonsense. We need to get rid of this. The God of Jesus is different from the God of the Old Testament. And the church fathers got together and said, no. The only way we know Jesus is because and through the eyes of the prophets of the Old Testament. Unfortunately, I look at the church in so many different parts of the world and I've come to realize that we may not be Marcionists but we are effectual Marcionists many times because it is as if you you know I, when, I, when I'm in India they go to South India in a place called Chennai there are these people who carry these big big huge huge Bibles have you seen that? You know, down per Swakam, they'll carry these huge Bibles. And you look at those Bibles, and two-thirds of the Bible is not touched. It's only that little part of the Bible that's touched. And I hear sermons on different radio stations. So many times we are not referring to the prophets. We cannot understand Jesus unless we read through the whole Bible. And that's why the Gospel of Mark and Paul and Matthew and John will always say, it is written, it is written. That's where we find the heart of God. That's where we find the mind of God. And then 
The next part here is the calling of God is translated through whom? It says here in the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, it is written in the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. And those are the words from Isaiah chapter 40. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. How does the gospel, how is it preached? It's preached through the messenger, through people like you and I. Now, I want you to see the relationship between the good news, the word for good news is euangelion. Do you know what does the word messenger mean? It means angelos. Angelos, which so often is translated as angel. Right? But the word just means messenger. You know, when we get this picture of an angel, we always think about the white wings and so on and so forth that we have in all the Christmas pageants. That's not what the word angelos means. The word angelos means a messenger. Someone like you and me. Would you say that to each other? Would you look at one another and say, you're an angel. You're an angel. Be an angel. For God during this season of Advent. Would you say that to your neighbor? You're an angel. <laughs> of course, then we should look back and say, Angela, you're an angel. Would you say that too? An yes, you are an angel. Isn't that great? Euangelion is the good news. The bearer of the good news. Angelos is a messenger, and God has used people like John the Baptist, who are angelos, you and me, just earthen vessels as angelos. And God wants us to go out into the world during this season and be angels, bearers of the good news. Would you take it upon yourself to be a bearer of the good news? What kind of a bearer is this person? I'm going to go through these very, very quickly, okay? The calling of the angelos. I've divided it into ten parts, and I'm just going to give you the ten, just the, 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 the structure of, of the ten aspects of a messenger. The first one is, his messenger reflects the face. In Greek, the word is prosopon, the face of God. That's how you and I can be an angel. We spend hours fasting and praying in the presence of God. I get up in the morning, so when people look at me, they see the face of God. That's how we get people's attention. Secondly, the messenger is a person, the angelos is a person who is a preparer, a builder. The Greek word there is kataskiwazo, the builder of his path, where you say, I'm going to do this, Lord, just like a road builder. You say, I'm going to prepare the way. I'm going to build the road for you. I'm, I'm going to do the dirty work. 
Because unless people see us doing the dirty work, they're not going to look at Jesus the Messiah. Thirdly, the messenger is the voce, the voice of God. Because we listen to the voice of God and find our vocation in being an angelos. That is our primary vocation, is to be the voice of God. It is not like being a professor of music or being a professor of the Bible or, or being a, a medical doctor or a dentist. Our primary vocation is to be the voice of God because throughout we are listening to the voice of God and become his voice to the people. Fourthly, his messenger is always a person who cries out. There's got to be passion. You know, we can't go to people and with this dull look on our face, say, can I introduce you to Jesus? Come on, let it, can I introduce you to Jesus? There's got to be some passion about it. Crying out. And the, the way that crying out happens in the rest of the Bible is to first to cry out on behalf of the people. Unless we cry out on behalf of our neighbors in prayer and in intercession, there's not going to be any passion in the good news that we give to our friends and neighbors. Fifthly, a messenger proclaims with urgency. That same word, euthus, is used here. It's urgent. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers are without Jesus. They need Jesus. And there's got to be an urgency about it. We can't just molly along from one day to the next and just pretend that everything is fine. It's not. Our friends, our neighbors need Jesus and we need to be urgent about it. Sixthly, the messenger becomes his vocation. In Greek, the word is ginomai. And we missed that, I realize, in the English translation. But in, in Greek, the word is, you become the gospel. You become the vocation of God. What is God's vocation? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We become the vocation of God. Seventhly, his messenger accomplishes his calling in the wilderness. That's what John the Baptist did. Sometimes there's a need for us to take people away into the wilderness. Because when we are surrounded by all the work that we need to do, we're not thinking about our own situation. But sometimes we need to go into the wilderness. My hope is that we would do that as a church. My hope is the pastoral search committee will go into the wilderness and pray and fast. My hope is that the leaders and all of us will go and pray and fast because in wilderness things happen. We truly seek God. And that's what John the Baptist did. He was in the wilderness. And that as, as he was in the wilderness, people started coming to him. People started coming to him. Eighthly, he baptized people. The word baptizo means to immerse. Where you go and you lose yourself in the water. And then you come out as a resurrected person. 
I hope you would do that. We need to have a baptism service, isn't it? If you have not experienced that, would you come and speak to one of us? That's what John did. He baptized people, and we need to be doing that as a church. Ninthly, the messenger always transforms society. Calls a spade a spade. John the Baptist was just amazing. I mean, he called people all kinds of names, right? And sometimes we need to do that. We need to call a spade a spade. Because when we call a spade a spade, then people will see and repent. The word repent means coming into the presence of God. There's a transformation that takes place. And tenthly, the messenger always steps aside and says, no, it's not me. It's Jesus. I want to become like nobody so that you would see Jesus. In our society, we always want to be somebody's so that people will look at us and say, how cool this person is. What an amazing thinker, or whatever. A true messenger steps aside so that people will see the message, and that is Jesus. During the season of Advent, may you give birth to many, many people and lead the way to the Messiah, Jesus. Would you pray with me?